You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is Black Hollywood Live Portraits, featuring intimate, in-depth interviews with Black Hollywood stars and influencers. Black Hollywood Live, Hollywood redefined. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live Portraits, Dario Kristen. Hey everyone, you're watching Black Hollywood Live Portraits. I'm your host, Dario Kristen, and here joining me today is the lovely Courtney Stewart. What's up, everybody? DJ hey. Jesse J. Hey. And I'm excited about our guest today. He's one of the most recognizable faces in Hollywood. He is an actor, director, writer. Eric LaSalle is with us today. Welcome, welcome. Congratulations on your new novel that's coming out, Laws of Wrath, and you have uh, some directing uh, positions that you're doing this summer, and we're all excited to see and hear more about that. But first, we want to learn a little bit more about you and your younger Connecticut days. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we want to go way back. We want to go way, 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 way back. Way, way back. So now you've had a successful career for over 30 years, and... Uh, that's, I mean, a lifetime in this industry, I think, at this point for a lot of people. And you grew up in Connecticut. What, at what point did you kind of have that acting bug that it, it, did it first come to you? Um, I think it was, ironically, I think it was uh, when I was a freshman in high school. Um, but it wasn't really about the acting. I wanted to be a writer. And, mm. I, and I, I joined the drama club with the hopes of writing a play that was going to be performed and you know, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> and uh, when I showed up, they were like, yeah, we need actors. Uh, so um, so the first production I did was uh, Raising in the Sun. And, uh, I, you know, and then from that point on, I just got hooked. And, you know, fortunately, um, having an idea of what you want to do that mm -hmm. early um, for me was great because then, like, that's all I've ever done. That's the only direction I've ever taken. So, uh, so I joined an acting uh, troupe, uh, improvisational group, um, then started getting ready for college. Uh, my mentor at the time, um, who, his name was Clay Stevenson, who passed away, he said, hey, I, you know, I think you're, um, I think, I think you should, you might want to go to the school called Juilliard. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm, I was from Hartford. I never even heard of Juilliard, yeah. you mm -hmm. know, but I trusted him and believe that if he said it was good, it was good. It was good. So I was like, all right, cool, let's go. And he said, you know, I'll help you. I'll, I'll get you ready for the audition. And, uh, and I, again, no true concept, and no one in my world knew what Juilliard was. And, you know, um, I come from, you know, very blue-collar family, single moms, and, you know, was just hustling, you know, trying to raise a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> uh, so she was, you know, so I was like, okay. And then I started doing the research, and it was like, okay, you know, they audition, you know, anywhere from one to 2,000 people, and they accept 35. Wow. I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, I started seeing more and more about it. And uh, what was really cool, um, the thing that really got me psyched about Juilliard was they sent me a brochure as I started filling out things. They sent me a brochure, and on the cover of the uh, drama department was this brother playing Othello. Hmm. And that just, well, I was just like, wow. You know, I was just blown away. And this is what they were sending out to everybody, not just the black Not the black people. Not the segregated people. No, yeah, it was like, oh, send, send them something black, you know. It was, just like, it was, you know, so they sent it out, and it it was the actor Keith David. Oh, oh Keith, he's the Yeah, man. and he was uh, just this striking pose of him, you know, and uh, and I was like, wow, like I really want to do this. And so, you know, I went audition, um, got accepted, uh, moved to New York, started. You know, um, I was there for two years, uh, got kicked out um, because they were like, you know, your, your voice and your diction doesn't, you know, meet our standards. And you know, sort of a, you know, you got to realize. I mean, my mother was from Georgia, and as you know, many African Americans, we sort of have that urban southern yeah. mix, yeah. like, can I ask you a question? Yeah, you know, yeah. We grew up, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, cast up nominators, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and but I, I worked 
really, really hard. I think that the, the most disappointing thing was when they started telling me, well, we're, we're having problems with your speech and diction. Um, I started taking on extra courses, and I was doing everything I could to do it. So then by, by the time we made it to the end of the second year, which is their cutoff point, that's usually when they decide if you go on and you yeah. don't. And so it was to me it was a surprise because they kept telling me, wow, you're getting so much better, you're you know so dedicated. But I think it was also like a whole point of um, – being 17 and a half, 18 years old, yeah. and um, everything you did at that point as, as a part of their technique, and I'm not, I'm not faulting it, because um, obviously it's an amazing school and it works, but their mission is to tear you down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, and, and I don't have any problems with that. I think the, the, the one issue that I had was in the tearing down, um, particularly of a young brother who's trying to define himself as a man um in you know like that that path is yeah. already very interesting yeah. you know what i mean and so all of a sudden now your your speech is you know is no good your body movement is no good and um and then i you know i went to school with obviously you know i went from a 99.99 percent black high school to a 99.99% white college. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> and, culture shock. And it was like, <laughs> yeah. and you know, it's like at that point, you know, like, I mean, I had kids, some, one, of this, one of these kids told me, he said, hey, wow, you're the only other black person I ever met besides my maid. And, wow. And, and, and it, it just said it with such, and, and literally, and again, I wasn't mad, but that, that was the world he came from. And yeah. I, just like I came from a certain world. So that was a difficult, transition for me because it was like okay your music i mean you know they would sometimes they would make fun of the music that i listened to and you know i mean yeah. you know, yo this is you know yeah hey, don't don't talk about lionel richie don't talk about <laughs> don't talk about earth wind and fire don't talk about you know and, right but again we're all young and and and, and uh so anyway so I, I i left there and fortunately my mentor stepped in again and he said i think you should audition for nyu but at the at this point, all the scholarships were gone, mm. and you know we didn't have money. So, um, so I was like, so he got me a meeting with the head of the um, department, and before the guy said, "Look, I'm meeting you as a courtesy, but I got to tell you, um, all of our scholarship money is gone because it's June, and so we already dispersed it." So I said, "Well, I'm here. I might as well audition." So I was in his office. I auditioned just for him, and when I was finished, he said, "We'll find a way." <laughs> and um, and the reason I bring that up is because I think that that's one of the most Im- one of the most important lessons I learned. It, it rem- it's, it's um, I think it was Roots Two. It was it was Roots Two, and one of the characters I believe Dorian Harewood was accepted into a college. Yeah. And he met someone on the train, and he was talking to this gentleman, and he was telling him, "Yeah, I'm going to be going to his school or whatever." But then, of course, his money fell through. He couldn't do anything and somehow he went to the school to tell them that he wouldn't be able to come mm. and the uh, head of the school is looking at him and says your scholarship has been paid for mm. and he says what do you mean he says yeah and the the guy that paid for it said if he didn't show up don't reach out to him but the fact that he showed up allowed him to pursue, to pursue his dream oh, wow. and so I, I like that those two lessons for that. me just just said you know what no matter how crazy something sounds no matter or seems no matter what the restrictions are if you just really believe you you got to show up yeah like you got to show up and that's yeah. the thing that you know like i try to tell my nephew and, and he gets it he's you know the younger generation I'm like showing up is is sometimes half the battle because there's so many people that uh, this will never happen. Yeah. So, they, so you're not competing with the full field by the time you show up. Sometimes you're competing with just half the field or a quarter of the field because some people are just like, hey, I don't have the money, I don't have the means, um, I'm not the right color, I'm not the right gender, I'm yeah. not the right whatever. To, they block themselves they out. Block, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, so those were lessons for me. So anyway, so um, so I go to NYU now. I, I get accepted as, a, as an advanced student. So... I graduate at the same time that I was supposed to graduate, and you know, started my career, and you know, did off Broadway, Broadway, um, soap operas, um, a ton of bad movies. <laughs> uh, you know, man, back then you just you just happy to have a job. What you know what is, I mean? What's uh, something as far as your writing? You know, you said that at such a young age you knew you wanted to write. 
plays. And, you know, where did that come from that you knew at such a young age that specifically that's what you wanted to write? Well, I, I don't, I think it was, you know, I, I, I grew up, um, I used to write, I used to write poetry and just some, you know, creative stuff. And, you know, my brothers would be like, yo, man, you know, when this girl broke up with me, can you write me something? <laughs> <laughs> That's when lyrics were important, too. <laughs> you, know, and I was, you know, and I was like, boom, boom, boom. And next thing you know, she's, you know, back, back with her. I was, I was like, wow, I got something here. It didn't benefit me that much, but, you know, so, but, um. I, I think I think the play thing was just a part of the fantasy of the the thing I know the thing when people ask me why do you do so many different things I don't think I don't think of it in terms of doing so many different things I think of them as being an extension of the same thing I'm a storyteller and and I've always wanted to be a storyteller and I think that was the beginning of me wanting to be that part going from writing poetry or creative stuff, I think that was the stuff that I, 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 I leaned towards. I mean, and we always excel at the things that, we always gravitate towards the things that we excel at. You yeah, know what I mean? So um, I was, uh, you know, I was a mediocre ball player. I mean, I didn't see a future there. You know, and that, you know, back in the day when you grow up in, you know, when you grow up in the hood, it's like, that's what everybody's dream Everybody's is. dream, yeah. And I was like, yo, it was cool, but it was like, <laughs> but I was that cat that was like, it's cold outside. I ain't really feeling like that. <laughs> like, my brothers are like, Yo, what, are you, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a read, man. I'm, I'm writing, you know. And they were like, oh, man, you know. So um, I, I just started gravitating towards, and then I started winning, you know, like if there were little competitions and, you know, just little stuff that just kept validating that you, yeah. you have something. You got it. You got yeah. something. It's not, it's not developed. It's not, but. Again, you have something. I started writing for the. Uh, I started writing for the uh, school paper. I started. Um, we had a. Uh, our, our high school had a uh, radio station, so um, I became a DJ. Uh, and uh, we had handles back then. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm very bow-legged, and so my nickname was Cowboy. So I was like, "Yeah, this is uh, this is Cowboy coming to you." <laughs> Even has the voice. It was like, the yeah, voice. W, WQTQ sending this one out to Monique with the baby. You know, and I was like, "That was my rap." You know what I mean? It's like, "Girl, let me give you a shout out." This is this is before they were even shout outs. You know what I mean? Girl, it's just let me like, give you, a shout you know, and then I, I, and, I and, and it was like all the corny variations of what Cowboy. It's like, "Yeah, this is Cowboy coming to you with a bang bang, baby." You, know? you better saddle up. You know, yeah, you better, girl. I'm about to take you for a love ride. You know oh, what wow. I mean? Get on, get get on, and get in the saddle. You know what I mean? And I mean, come on, 17 years old yeah. with a mic. Right. Come on, man. You know. Sugar Hill Gang had just come <laughs> out. We were like, then we started rapping, and we'd be in the studios battling. Um, but again, it was, it came back to storytelling yeah. because when, when I wrote a rap, it was telling a story. It yeah. wasn't just about how many girls. You know, everybody was, oh, I got girls, I got this, I got that. I was like trying to tell a story. You yeah. know what I mean? And so, I think everything. Um, uh, Everything about me was really about storytelling. I think acting as an extension is storytelling. Yeah. I think um, I got into directing. Directing is storytelling. Producing, producing is the thing that I do um, more as a, I, I see it for me in some ways as almost not a necessary evil, but I, you know, you do it to control the project. You right. do it to, you know what I mean, and, and, and so it's not anything that I have. A natural affinity towards not it's nothing that I'm passionate about but produce a good producer is a good storyteller yeah. so you never mm -hmm. want to take that away but <laughs> we we think of because you know particularly out here producers the, the most overused <laughs> title true. out here yeah. and in music and in That's true. you know and in acting um, or you know and, and, and so but I think the really good ones are storytellers so so you know the producer then you write projects. Um, you know, back in the late '80s, I started writing short films. Um, you write to have something to shoot. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, so that's so. Then the writing thing came back because it, it was dormant for years because I was focusing on being an actor, and you know, and um, that was, then that became you, you sort of become um, enamored with that whole thing of you know what it means to be an actor, and and it was immediate. Everything was so immediate because you know you audition. You either get it or you don't get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and so 
you know, so I, so I went away from it, and then I came back and started, you know, writing short films. Uh, How long was that period of you kind of letting it go dormant? Well, um, I think basically if you think about it, if you say, well, at 14 years old, I had the concept mm -hmm. of being a playwright. Um, and then I would say 28 years old, so between 14 and 28, it was all about being an actor. And, and not at all, like on the side, still trying to, you know, write something. Not really, together. not really. I mean, periodic. I'd write, I'd write, you know, f you know, for you know, girlfriends. I'd write poetry. That was that was my rap, man. I was like, <laughs> you know, so, oh my God, you're so sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah, I got you, girl. You know, like, <laughs> so, I feel like I need a mixed CD right now. Yeah, out there. No, 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 A mixtape. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me get, get it correct. Come oh, on, we got tape. We got mixtape. You know. Get that little pencil, pencil. and like turn that thing. You got your love, and you know. I got my first apartment, man. I had four, or five of them. If you're like, okay, rotation. She, she's Luther Vandross. <laughs> you know. So, uh, but even then, it's funny because um, I think when you're an artist, I think you see things very differently. Because I grew up in such a, um, it was like such this this weird balance. Because yeah. I was that cat that. Um, from the north end of Hartford, and um, you know, Hartford is Hartford is a weird place. Mm -hmm. um, Hartford is the insurance capital of yeah. the world, and it's like Wikipedia, I think, said it's like the third poorest city in the nation. Wow, which is so it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's so extreme, and I think that like I, in some ways, I'm I'm I can be like that. I can be like you know over here, over here. And I think even growing up, my you know, like I said, my, you know, my brothers always thought I was weird in a way because, I mean, they come home, I'm listening to uh, Rod Stewart and and you know, uh, Funkadelic. Yeah. And I'm you know Elton John. I mean, I was I I again, I listen to storytellers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I listen to you know like I think um, you know Elton John's uh, Daniel. I think is an amazing story. I yeah. think, you know, the Eagles Hotel California. I mean, I, you know, stuff like that. But then at the same time, you know, it's you know OJ's is you know Earth Wind and Fire is uh, Rick James was Rick. like you know what I mean. Yeah. So there was always this, and so you know back then, and I love I love where artists are now because at least musically that stigma seems to have have really sort of disappeared. But back then it's like. Dude, what you listen to that white music for? Right. You know what I mean? And now it's all crossed over. Now it's all crossed. So. Now it's, right. it's 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 in. But and and that, and that is that to me that's amazing because seriously, like back then it was like, literally it was like you had black music, you had white, white music, yeah. and, and you know and, and that perception. Um, but again, I listened to storytellers. I was affected. Um, a house is not a home is one of the most amazing visual songs yeah. I mean you see him climbing the stairs literally turning the key yeah. you get a little nervous you know <laughs> you see his hand reaching for the doorknob and you know you got the key and you know but those that's what I've always been inspired by um, no matter what form it came in um, if I I started in college again this wasn't my background I don't even know where it came from but I, I got hooked on foreign films. I started really going to foreign films, you know, when I was 18, and that 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 just fed me. What did you know? get from those films? Like, what what inspired I got, you from I, those? I got I got I got the most important one of the most important lessons about being um, an entertainer and being a storyteller, which is um, whatever you do, make it about the human experience, and therefore it has no color, no gender, no religion, no race. It, it's not. I don't. I mean, I've never been that cat that's been trying to do black movies. Yeah. Like, I, that, I don't, you know, I, I, I want to do movies. If it happens to be populated um, and from, a, obviously, I want to do things from a point of view of African American, but I don't want it to be this limited mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And so when I would see foreign films, um, Akira Kurosawa um, was the great Japanese film director. He had a film called Ron which is the Japanese version of King Lear. Hmm. So that was like a whole double thing. They were like, okay, you got Shakespeare and you got, you know, Right, Japanese you got a good mix. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> people were like, right. dude, really? <laughs> you know, and the film was like, when it first came out, it was like two and a half, two hours and 45 minutes. And in a span of two weeks, I think I saw it like three or four times. And, um, and what I got from that was, it makes no difference where it comes from. 
if you tell it right, people can relate to it. Yeah. And, and, and so everything I've wanted to do was make people relate to whatever my stories are, what, regardless to what the character's um, background is or, you know, any of that stuff. So that's, that's, that's a, that that's was a valuable, valuable lesson. And, and I'm, you know, like right now, I think, you know, like my three favorite films would be, okay, of course, I was around, um, there's an Italian film called Cinema Paradiso, um, which is amazing, and The Godfather. Love you the know, Godfather. You got to yeah. keep it real. You know what I mean? It's just like keep it, keep it home. Keep it, you yeah, know, keep, keep it, it home. And yeah. so, and these are very, very, very uh, different films. Very yeah. different. Mm -hmm. But, um, but as you, as I can understand the American journey, you know, of you know, because again, and here's something, you know, The Godfather was never really conceived to be a gangster film. This is what I think Francis Ford Coppola was so brilliant about. He was like, I'm not out to, he turned it down. And, you know, and he came to him and said, would you do it? He turned it down. He said, I don't want to do a, an Italian gangster film. I don't yeah. want to, you know, the Italian Americans are always perceived as, you know, in this stereotypical way. I don't want to do it. And he kept, and then he wrapped his brain around it and he said, you know what? I'll do an Italian American family that happens to be Gangsters. gangsters, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was more about the relationships. More about the relationships, yeah. and that's why he had all his family exactly. in it. Mm -hmm. It was about we learned about. I think there was there was a movie. I can't remember if it was You've Got Mail, but one of those Tom Hanks movies. They said something like, "Every lesson that any lesson that a man ever needs in life, you can find it in The Godfather." <laughs> like you know, it's you know, like all those great all you know, things. keep your friends close yeah. and your enemies close. <laughs> right, you like got that one. You know, <laughs> um, but you know, I I I. I that's it's a subtle difference, yep. but that subtle difference of your point of view changes. And yes, it was it's a great gangster film, but I look at it as as a family. I yeah. mean, and that's why the, all the dynamics and you know when you get to Godfather Two and Michael having to kill his brother because he betrayed him and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so all of those things for me are about universal storytelling, yeah. and everything always hits me that way whether it whether it's a commercial whether it's you know a little you know whether it's a song whether it's uh whether it's a book it i don't care who it's about i just care about the story and i, I care about you know can people relate to can it can people relate emotion? to that and yeah and then you spoke about just being a part of films and not necessarily wanting to be just with black projects like just universal projects one of the biggest cult classics is a film you starred in as well, um, Coming to America, which is just, I mean, I think my friends who are white, black, yellow, whatever it may be, they all love that film and can relate to it. Whenever it comes on, I know many people who will not turn it off. Right. And how did it feel for you to be a part of such a classic cult favorite that is just universally loved by everyone? Well, I, I think, again, if you look at that film, the, uh, the structure of the film, uh, it plays on the tried and true. Um, um, tenets of successful films: Fish Out of Water. Um, it's a, it's a romance, yeah. and it's a royal romance. You know what I mean? And it's like so. Um, I think the concept of a woman meeting a prince—that's universal. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's not that's not black. Yeah. The the thing that made that film so cool was we weren't used to seeing ourselves depicted. In royalty, that's in true. The fashion of royalty, especially during that time, too. Especially yeah. during yeah. this is 1987. Yeah. So I think that you know, again, but the classic storytelling is you know one of the greatest you know things is a fish out of water. Yeah. yeah. So you take that element. I don't care what color it is. Is if you make it right, then and it was a and kind of a buddy film. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and the classic um, irresponsible buddy and the responsible yeah. buddy. I mean, yeah. so if you look at all the way you look at all the films you know after that and before that it's like th they have the same thing so you know being a part of it again you know at that point you are um, you're just trying to get a job you know um, that film obviously will always be special um, not just for what it became but the process was the process was amazing because it was the it was one of the few gigs um, when I say few, I, I should say couple, um, where I go in to meet John Landis, and you know I'm you know the, the, you know the trained actor, you know all my all my boys, 
you know, we, we, we went at it. When we got auditions, we went at it. You know, we'd stay up 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. We were getting our stuff. We went in. We were prepared. And you don't always feel appreciated because, you know, the hours that you spend into that, which is your thing, which is what you, you know, you, the choice you make. But you get in and they give you like three minutes and they're like, okay, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, true. Uh, and just to walk into a room with someone who appreciated the work. And he appreciated the work so much that right then and there, on the spot, no committee, he said, you're hired. Wow. In the room. Oh, wow. And, you know, I'm living in New York at the time, and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, still you know, struggling and, yeah. and uh, having a you know, great time in, in the struggle. And then all of a sudden, like, this big-time director just says, right then and there, no, because you, you've gone through all of the three-month decisions mm-hmm. and the they want you the director wants you but the studio wants this person or the this or all the all the different reasons not to get a job yeah and then here's someone that's just like just just real simple says you did a great job i like you you're hired i mean to the point where i was like um you mean i'm like, like hired like hired. i can start or am i good. high no i'm not <laughs> high like you're like you know because you there's a brain freeze there, <laughs> right. and you're like you know and so um and it's yeah yeah you know you're hired and so that's the note that it started on and then now your your career has elevated you're in a film with you know eddie was the biggest star mm-hmm. at that the time, time. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean? so you're you're in this eddie murphy film and um you know and it 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 changes i remember when i so um i was back and forth so uh, i remember i was out here and i went to a club with one of my boys and we were having this debate about you know how phony LA was and how <laughs> you know brothers all they do is front and they Still always talking about that today. Yeah, some things haven't changed. Right? They just, but they just you know they'll they'll use everything and they're a producer and they're doing this and they're doing that. And I was like, yo, you know, I'm from the East Coast, we don't we don't roll yeah, like that, right? So we, you know we go into the club and and uh, there was this woman. I'll never forget this is this is back in eighty seven. I still remember her name. Her name was Yvette and she was so fine. <laughs> and so I'm talking to her and she's looking past me. You know, I'm trying to have some conversation with her and you know, blah blah blah, the art, the this, the that. And you've already shot. Just, no, 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 no. I, I, uh, yeah, actually I had. I okay. I just, you know, but it wasn't out yet. It wasn't out yet, okay. So I you know, so I'm like yeah, blah, blah, she's just looking past me and, you know, what, what ball is here, who's important. Kind of, I guess she didn't want to stand alone, so she kind of stayed there. And I just, I was just getting shot down. Oh. I was just, you know, and I'm like, man. And so literally it was the worst timing. I just turned to her and didn't know it. Just as my buddy was walking by, I go, I'm in a movie with Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I was like, I'm playing that car, <laughs> you know. And, she, and all of a sudden she perked up, and I was like, and he walks by like, Weren't you the one that just said, <laughs> right. you know, you're like, yeah, but, you know, yo, she's fine. <laughs> you know right. I mean? I'm making an exception I mean, for her. Yo, she is fine, you know. So, um, but that, to <laughs> me, is, you know, for me, it, it, it was learning the balance of, of, of Hollywood. Because I, I do think you can come out here. I think you can get lost. I think you can get yeah. pulled in a lot of different directions. But I think if you, if you know who you are, you can laugh about it. You, can, you know what I mean? Like, you understand, okay, you know what? I, I'm, I'm only going so far. I can only do, you know, um, things to a certain level before. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not going to be that cat that's going to be like, you know, selling my soul mm-hmm. just to be, you know. And, and to me, that's what success is. It's not making it. <coughs> it's making it with your morals and your, your personal ethics intact. Yeah, there, are a lot of people, there are a lot of people that have, quote, unquote, made, made it. it. Mm-hmm. And they're miserable yeah. Yeah. because they've, you know, prostituted themselves in, in various ways. So... Um, but that, yeah, but that was one of those. Uh, one of how was the process for you after the movie came out? And you were still young, you're an actor in a huge movie, and now navigating those same waters of Yvette hanging knows out. your face. Yvette knows <laughs> your face, and now it's out there. Like, how did you? Well, I mean, yeah, that? I mean, it's it's look, it's an adjustment, and you know, um, nobody is. I mean, some sometimes, yeah, you use it, and in the mm-hmm. sense of, yeah, it's great to be able to walk into that crowded restaurant and get a table. Yes, absolutely. Sure. You know, it's great. Uh, any artist, the, 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 you know, the, the one thing about artists is, and, and it's, it's such a cool phrase, I think, when you think about it, it's like people say, I love your work. Mm-hmm. I love your work. 
I love your work. Mm-hmm. And, and but people say it so much. I don't. I don't know that they're understanding yeah. what, what they're that saying. Really means. Yeah. But but if you really think about it, that's the highest praise you can give an Absolutely. artist. You can actually give yeah. to anybody. Yeah. I love your work. Yeah. I love your work ethic. I love your talent. I love your commitment. I love the fact that you struggle. I love your work. I mean, work is such an amazing word, but we throw it out so much. I just it just sort of becomes this yep. catchphrase. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything, but if you really break it down, so so I say that to say, you know, when people started saying that, hey, I loved your work and that, thing, it just it felt good. I mean, you you got to take that with all the soul glow jokes and all the ribbings <laughs> and you know all that stuff, of course, you know. Um, but I think, you know, I mean, look, it goes with it. And yeah, I mean, you're, 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 you're blessed to be a part of, you know, something. It was, um, you know, for me, uh, you know, my mother is no longer alive, but you know, at the time to take your mother, you know, from Hartford, Connecticut, who struggled, mm-hmm. like I said, to raise a bunch of knuckleheads and to take her to the man's Chinese theater and, you know, and, and, oh, I mean, dressed, and, yeah. you know what I mean? And Was she always supportive of you in the process when you, I know you were mentioning like you were kind of like the brother who they were like, what, why don't you want to play basketball? But was your mother always saying, hey, you know, you can do this, you can accomplish no. this? No, and, uh, uh, and my mother was always supportive as a loving mother, but I think, um, I think it's really important for um, particularly African-Americans to, to talk about these things. I think, unfortunately, like so many generations and so many African Americans, my mother was too scared to dream that big. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she was too scared. My mother was my mother. You know, life taught my mother to be pragmatic mm-hmm. and to and to go with. And I, you know, in, in Hartford, Connecticut, you had uh, Pratt and Whitney um, Aerospace Dynamics, where they, you know, they built planes and got all the government contracts, et cetera, and they were paying really good money, you know, sort of like a Hollywood Shuffle did a job at the post office. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, they, no, they were paying really good money. My brother worked for them, and, you know, back back then, I mean, they, you, you could really make a nice living. And um, so that was the thing. You want to encourage your children to go with that. That's yeah. proven. That's It's safe. It's safe. Yeah. You've got to realize, and listen, man, they were, you know, now we've got a ton of references. We've got, you know, uh, young African-American girl or boy or Latino or whatever can look up an Asian even can look up and say oh we've got we've got frames of reference back then we had we had we had uh, Bill Cosby we had uh, we had Sidney Poitier um, and this is Bill Cosby before the Cosby show yeah you know mm-hmm. what I mean but you know I he was doing I spy we had Sidney we had Harry Belafonte we only had a handful of examples and so what would make you believe that some skinny bow-legged kid from <laughs> Hartford, Connecticut would be, because back then you're taught, they must be born, they must have some special magic or yeah. something. Yeah. Like they were born in Hollywood, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, they mm-hmm. were born at the Hollywood Hospital where only yeah. stars are born, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? And that's your, because that's your, you know, your limited point of view. And so um, I think my mother was, my mother was very afraid um, of you know me getting out there and getting lost, she had preconceptions about what you know entertainers were. She yeah. said, "Oh my God, you're gonna go to New York and you're gonna be a drug addict, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be a prostitute, <laughs> <laughs> you know." And then of course, you know, you're gonna be gay, and you're like, "Wow, what?" <laughs> you're, like, you're like, "I just want to act. I just want to act. I just signed up for. I didn't sign up for all that. I just want to. I want to write. I want to. I want to act. Like really, you got me." <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gay prostitute <laughs> strung out on drugs. I'm standing on the corner, and I'm like, wow, really? Yeah. I just, I'm dreaming, Mom. I'm just right. dreaming, you know? And, Shout uh, out to you for not holding that exactly. stick in your head. Right. Yeah, you didn't you know, let anybody hold you Dude, down, I went like, back to New I went to New York. I was scared. I was like, you know, but. <laughs> the guy's like, go to Julia. No, I don't want to go across. Yeah, yeah, I want to be the hoe. I'm not a hoe. I'm not a hoe, you know? But to her credit, the, you know, she loved the fact that I was the first in my family to really go away to college. I had a brother that, you know, my brother went to uh, a local college and uh, party, just party. He, he, got, he was like, ooh, I'm, I'm in college, I get to party. And she saw how serious I was. She's so, and, and she made the adjustment in high school. And she was really smart. She didn't get the acting thing and she had her fears. But the one thing about her, she was smart enough to realize that whatever it is, 
it's making him a better kid. Yeah. It's making him a better young man. He's, uh, you know, I almost, I was almost held back my freshman year because, you know, I had my first leather coat. I thought I was cute. Girls started, <laughs> you know, girls started giving me a little attention. Right, I was right. like 14. I went through that, you know, I come out of that awkward stage now. And, and girls like, ooh, you're cute. And I was like, oh, I <laughs> bump school, you know. And I was doing some stupid stuff. And, um, and then when I hooked up in the drama club halfway through the year, um, I got on the honor roll. Uh, I flipped it, uh, you know, I turned it around. So she would hold it. She would say, okay, listen, if you don't clean your room, you're not going to rehearsal. Right. You know, so she she so she, she learned, and, and, and I think it was just sort of like winning her over just in a sense that I have purpose. Yeah. I have purpose. I'm not, I was. I never was into the whole smoking, drinking, hanging out thing. I was like, my big thing was like, mom, can I go to a drama competition? And, you know, I'll be back it. at, you know, it's, it's in another state, so I'll be back at 2 in the morning, but... I ain't, it's not like me going to a party and I'm yeah. coming back with an award. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so again, it wasn't what she understood. It's what she saw her baby doing, which was he's being more positive, more responsible. Yeah. And so she supported, you know, that's when she got on board. And then of course, the minute I got, into, you know, got on a soap opera, it was, <laughs> oh. I, 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 I might as well have won, you know, I did. And literally, I mean, I just did like, you know, two or three months on a soap opera. That was, that was one of my first gigs out of college. You know, now she could see it. Yes, yeah, yeah, she could see it. Yeah. And so it, you know, so for from that point on, it was like, you know, and then I got to travel and I'd come back, you know, from Europe or something, and and I've got, hey, I brought you a gift from Europe, and she's like, <laughs> you know, oh my God, my baby made it. So, so how'd she feel when you got on ER in 1994? Well, that was obviously um, one of the highlights of, you know, like, I mean, I think again, I think the uh, premiere um, for her. Coming to America because you know that's you know the stars were out oh, yeah. mm-hmm. that night and and people were and I'll, I'll never forget like Ronnie Cox um, and she was you know she loved Ronnie Cox and and he walked up to her and introduced himself wow. you know again you know black woman from America to Georgia not not not, 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 not seeing world yeah. and, you know Paul Abdul and you know like all these people were like hi how are you. You know, and she's like, <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, whoa, you know. Um, so, you know, but uh, ER was obviously on a whole, yeah. you know. Whole Phenomen- I mean, that was a phenomenon <laughs> within itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, you know, but, but, but like I said, by that time she, by that time she got, she had, she'd had it for years. But initially it was definitely that, that fear. And what was your favorite part about playing Dr. Benton? Um, you know, I love the fact that, um, there were two things. Um, I love the fact that at that time, you really didn't have a lot of African Americans in such a prominent role. Um, we were always sort of relegated to the best friend of, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, Michael Beach, um, who's my best friend for like 32 years, um, who, by the way, just had his sixth baby. I just came from wow. the hospital. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, Mike six E zero. <laughs> you gotta catch up, like, man. No, you no, catch no. Up. Like, dude, you're winning. I'm, I'm holding this newborn, and I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. She's beautiful, but I'm, you know. Um, but I was doing a show in Portland, and uh, he called me up because um, we, you know, we never came from that competitive thing. So we shared information about auditions and, and projects, and um, you know, our belief is, look, if it's meant for you. Nobody can take it from you. Very true. If it's not meant for you, nobody can give it to you. You know, mm-hmm. God has already predetermined. So we, so not when we weren't that that petty actor thing of oh I'm not gonna. So he called me up. He's like, hey, yo man, I just read this script. He said, and it's a beast. I was like, well, that was before we were saying beast. Uh, but he was <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's an amazing role. So so I was like, okay, cool. So I read it. He didn't tell me the name of the character. And the cool thing was when Michael Crichton wrote it. And before John Well, and when John Wells took it, and you know, and in, in because it was originally written as a movie, and um, so then when they changed it, they never described Benton as African American, mm. which was great. Yeah. So you know, so but when I read the script, I was confused because I kept waiting for the smaller black role. Yeah. The role was too big to be realistic for us. Like when mm-hmm. we read those scripts, it always was, oh man, that's an amazing character. 
he was white. Yeah. You know what I mean? If it didn't say, it was, you know, and so this didn't say, so I assumed he was white. So I called up Mike. And I said, man, that's a great script. I said, but which one is that? Because it was one character. Man, I love this character. I said, but which one? And he said, Benton. I was like, are you kidding? You know, so, you know, I went in and, you know, did it and got it. And, uh, and you know, so that was, that was, that was something that was amazing to me. And, and I like the fact that the year before um, Dennis Franz was on uh, NYPD Blue, and he played an unapologetic racist. Hmm. He was just a racist cop. He was a good cop, and and it wasn't he wasn't ranting and raving, you know, about black people and Latino people. He was just you know Latin people. He was just he was just doing his thing. But I thought it was I thought I thought he, he played the character with such courage. Because I think actors, we're so concerned about how we look, we the actor, and it's really about the character. You know, we get, we don't, we we're like, okay, I'll do this, but I'm only going to do it so far yeah. because this is going to make me look yeah. bad. But when you see the actors, and it's it's just a few, when actors really commit and go, hey, whatever, judge me however you want to judge me, I'm I'm going to be true to this character, and so he, so. Um, that show came on a year before ER, and I was a huge NYPD um, Blue fan, so I would watch it, and I was like, wow. I said, if I ever got a chance to do that, I hope I would have the courage to just do it, whether you yeah. like the character or not, just be true to And then Ben came along, and I was like, wow, sometimes you like him, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you, <laughs> yeah. you know right. what I mean? Like, <laughs> just, yeah, <laughs> and so I, uh, and I, I, I ran into uh, Dennis Franz at an award show, and I just told him, I said, thank you, because... I don't know if I'm doing it as well as you, but I, you gave me, you inspired me to just, I just want to do him. I just want to be, so I like the fact that he was surly, but he was, he was smart, he was, but he cared. And he that cared was the thing that it. people, you know, you got to, when you do characters, they just, they got to have something that you can relate to, mm -hmm. but don't apologize. And I just, I, was, I just made a decision. I said, like, I'm not going to apologize for who this man is. Yeah. It's okay for you not to like, you don't have to always like him. But you'll always understand that in his mind, he's always trying to do the right thing. That's all you really need to know. And so I'm going to push Carter. People are like, oh, my God, you're so mean to Carter. And, you know, <laughs> and it's like, you know, Noah and I were like the closest to one. And out of the whole cast, we were the closest, the closest to. And still are. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and it's so funny because, I'm like, you know, people are you're so mean to Carter, you know. And you're like, fine. You know, but at the end, you also understood how much he loved Carter. Yeah. How much he you could see it. Yeah. You always could see yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And you've gone on to do some amazing other projects since then, and, and added directing to your to your repertoire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, how how is the difference for you with directing coming from the acting side of things? Like, do you feel like it was a benefit to to help you in directing, or yes or no? Okay. Yeah, I think um, I assumed when I started directing that the industry would be like, "Wow, this you know, he does it both." I think <laughs> it, it hurts. It hurt me in a way because people don't always know what to do with when you're multi-talented mm -hmm. because they want to keep you in a box. Mm -hmm. So if yeah. you do A, you can't possibly do B well. If you do A well, you can't do B yeah. because because they can't conceive it, so you can't do it. So I think a lot of people, and I made a conscious choice um, not to direct ER. Um, while I was on it because I never wanted people to say, oh, he got that job because he's because one of the it, lead actors. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I wanted, so I started, um, the first film I did was um, for HBO. It was with Don Cheadle and James Earl Jones. It was called um, Rebound. Rebound, yeah. And, um, and that, you know, I, I was going away from, you know, ER. And I was, so I was, you know, I directed um, the pilot for Soul Food on Showtime. And so I was doing all these other things. I didn't direct ER until I left and then I came back. And in the final season, I directed it. Um, so in that way, it was it was always a struggle. And people, you know, people having this preconception, you know, oh, he's a he's an actor that directs, you know. And it took me years for people to start, I think, really seeing the directing individually and saying, you're a good director. The way that it helps is I'm known as an actor's director because I know how to communicate with actors, um, I know I, I have a 
have a huge respect for actors, so I don't give them the regular BS. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, if somebody, uh, I was directing a show uh, a couple of months ago, um, this NBC show called Crisis, and they wanted this actress, they wanted this actress <laughs> doing something. They wanted her basically speaking out loud to her, to having a conversation with herself out loud. And so she looks at me and she goes, people don't do this. People don't have full-on conversations with themselves out yeah, loud. That's They'll true. say one or two things, but they don't, oh, man, what am I going to do? Well, maybe I'll, unless you're, you got some issues. Mm -hmm. And she clearly didn't have those kind of issues. So she said, I, don't, I said, listen, um, at the end of the day, this is what they want. I'm not going to BS you. I'm not going to, because a lot of directors will be like, well, you know, actually, you know, sometimes you can, and we sit there and we go, why are you, why are you lying? And so I, my whole thing was like, yeah, look, it don't make sense to me, but we got to do it, and you got to and you got to make yourself look good doing it. Yeah. And she said, "Thank you." She said, "Thank you." I'm like, for not BSing me. You know what I mean? And I said, "I agree with you. I don't think people talk like this, but for whatever reason, this is what the network wants. This is what the producers want, and it is our job now, whether we agree with it or not. It's our job to do the best that we can Absolutely. with it." And so, but more importantly, it's like being able to pull performances out of actors and having actors trust me, and um, that's big. That's a huge thing. And so, um, I, I I I directed a show that's actually getting ready to come on. Um, there's a new NBC medical show called Night Shift mm -hmm. for NBC, and so I went in and, and directed that, and um, the actors really responded to me. The producers asked me to come back, help reshoot the pilot, reshoot other episodes. So it was, you know, really cool because they really trusted me. Yeah. And so then, you know, the network called me in and said, hey, listen, we love what you did on that show. That's how, you know, I got in, in crisis. Um, so I'm developing that reputation as being, um, he can fix it through, like, he's really strong with performances. He's strong with um, his camera moves, but in, in, t in storytelling. But the, the performance part, because sometimes you have these young actors, the general, it's different. It's different from the type of training. I, first of all, and this might get me in a little trouble, but <laughs> I'm going to say, I, I, at the time, I'll be diplomatic. At the time when I was coming up, the training was much stronger for the East Coast actors. I've heard that before too. in the West Coast. Okay, I'm not. I don't want some. I don't want some LA actor. I was listening to the show. Yeah, yeah. Don't go to his Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't hit me. Yeah, we all know. Okay, it's pretty much the same. Okay, so, um, so as a result of that, um, you know, I, I think when you have that strong training, I think now it's you know, actors are getting on shows and they don't know what they're doing, and and directors. Um, many directors are what we call traffic cops. Okay, can you can you move here? They they block, but they don't. They can't feed you if you get into trouble. They can't get you to say, "Well, I can't make sense of the scene. Yeah. I'm, I'm having problems." They're like, "Um, well, no, no, you're great. Just 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 keep doing it." And they're like, "You haven't told me anything." Yeah. So I'll get in and say, "Okay, listen, let's talk about this. Let's get." And the next thing you know, they and they go, "Wow, okay, thank you." So that's a big that's a big plus, and that's the that's the kind of director that I want to be known as. Yeah. And so it, now it feels good. But, you know, it took me several years to be known as, you know, wow, he's a good he's a director. Good director. Yeah, and then it, but then the flip side of that is, oh, he's not acting mm -hmm. anymore. Right. They, and in this, unfortunately, in this <laughs> world, they, you have to do one, one or the, or the other, other in people's perceptions. Yeah. Now, where did, where did it transition from you becoming an actor-director to writing your novels? Author. Author, right. Author. Author. Right on, For Laws yes. of Depravity. And now you recently have the new Laws of Rap, Rap coming out coming soon. Coming out next month. Mm -hmm. um, well, I... Uh, I think some people's, sometimes my failures are more interesting than my successes. And I think that that's true with a lot of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I look at I look at my failures and I'm like, wow, you know, that's that was pretty interesting how you bounce back from it and where it took you. And um, I had attempted to write a novel um, about four years ago. And uh, it was pretty bad. <laughs> it was, was, was kind of sneaky, you know. Um, so was it more pressure this time to put out the second one to write this? No, because I found the first one I did was, you know, uh, I found my, I found my genre the second time around, mm. and and I found that some of my deficiencies and some of my shortcomings, um, I found a way of making them work for me. And the main one is this. 
um, I may have um, a sort of um, undiagnosed case of ADD because my attention span <laughs> is is about this short, right? I think and we so, all do in this yeah, room. Too. So, okay, so <laughs> I write that way, which means everything I write is a page turner because I'm, I'm in and out. I, yeah. Like I, it's 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 all pace. That pace fits very well with the thriller genre. Because mm-hmm. you want a page, you want that. Oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Yeah. And so I don't do, um, I don't do these long, drawn out. And sometimes it kills me because people will be like, "Oh, did you read such and such a book? It's really good." I mean, you know, when you make it past the first hundred pages, <laughs> then it starts flowing. I'm going, make it past the first hundred pages. Right. Right. Make it past the first like, tip right. of the name. Hey, yeah. So, um, I, uh, I, 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 I was reading something. And I didn't know this, and a lot of people don't know this, but this, this was the inspiration for the first book. And this is when I was like, I got to do this. Um, I learned that all of Jesus' disciples were brutally murdered. And uh, they were beheaded, speared, crucified, dragged through the streets, um, torn limb from limb, stoned to death, every last one of them. And it wasn't just 12. Um, he had what's, what was called the greater and lesser apostles. So he had about close to 30 people that rode with him, yeah. right? But we know about the 12. All of them, except for John. John was uh, put into a vat of boiling oil mm. and survived. Hmm. And then he was banished to the Greek island of Patmos where he wrote um, the book of Revelations. He's the only one, the only disciple to die a natural death after surviving being, you know, put into a vat of boiling and I was like, wow, I, I, you know, I, I, I go to church, but I never knew this. And um, it's not in the Bible, but it's, um, it's uh, biblical historians. Um, if you Google um, the death of Jesus' disciples, yeah. you'll, you'll see this. And so I was like, you know what? It would be really, really interesting to come up with a modern-day serial killer who's killing fallen priests in the same way that the apostles were killed. Hmm. And because one one of the key things about thrillers is you got to have an original killer, and Always. you and you got to have original killings. Because mm-hmm. we've you know so and so got shot, okay, so and so got stabbed, you know. But I was like, wow, what a you know cool way. So I was like, I got to come up, and that was the thing that really got me. So I came up with the story, I came up with the crimes before I even came up with the protagonists, and then I created these two characters that I thought were really cool. Um, one is Italian and uh, Irish um, American, um, and the other one's African American. And these are the, you know, they solve the the top crimes, yeah. of top homicides, and serial killers. And they are like brothers, and um, very different cultures. And and so I put them together, and then I introduced a female FBI agent that works with them, and so it became like this 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 three person team, and the. The thing about my writing is another key thing for writing great thrillers and great stories is that the a lot of times people make the mistake of they make the bad guy much more interesting than the good guys. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because the good guys, they have more rules they have to live by. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's really, really interesting where your protagonist has demons that they're, they're battling even in the face of trying to do something good. Yeah. But they have, so even when, so, and if you look at it, the anti-hero is um, really being, I think, much more appreciated. And this is what foreign films taught me. That's true, foreign, foreign films taught me that because, see, like the difference, like back in the, back in the early 90s, if you think about it, American filmmaking would, what they would do is the good guy um, would finally catch the bad guy who killed his partner or killed his wife or whatever, and he'd have his gun on the bad guy. The bad guy is on, the, you know, on his back looking up, and he's shaking and he's about to shoot. And someone would come and say, "He's not worth it." Yeah. Think about so and so, and think about, and then he would <sighs> calm down, and then yeah. he'd, he'd take his gun and he would turn to walk away, and the bad guy would then reach for a gun or a knife in his sock in, or a shoe, and then he would turn around. And he was justified. He was yeah. justified yeah. in killing him. Yeah. Now, I got hip to John Woo back in the early 90s. John Woo was like, yo, you killed my brother, you killed my partner? Bam. <laughs> and, and I'm the protagonist. Right. Yeah. And it was like, wow. And I th- always thought, so then think, about, then think about what happened in the 90s. 
we got hooked on and and then in 2000 we got hooked on tony soprano we got hooked on we started rooting for you look at breaking bad you look That's at true. you look at you look at these these characters that now they they have demons yeah. and so my protagonists they they have things that they're working on they are struggling with and they're going as uh, they're going after some of the most heinous you know uh, people that have committed these you know, these 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 amazing crimes yeah. but they're dealing so that is how I got in again in storytelling but from a business point of view and this is something I've been preaching for years um, to anybody well, listen I just think right now it's an amazing time mm -hmm. because you have so many different networks and channels but the one thing that is needed that will always be needed is content yeah and we as minorities um, we don't own content we don't we don't um, and the thing that I've been preaching is always has been black ownership and so from a, a creative point of view I'm attracted to this expansion of the things that I do because of creative expression but from a business point of view I'm saying hey listen I was a great I was a I was a team on I was I was a teammate on one of the biggest teams ever in television yeah. I was a team yeah. you know yeah. but and I, and I became rich yeah. as a result of it. I'm. Let's talk about wealthy. Yes. <laughs> let's talk about ownership. Where the thing I love in, in this industry sometimes is like, you find a smart producer, he will sell that same product four different times, four different ways, and you're like, wow, he's going to repackage it, yeah. or she's going to repackage it, and boom, she's getting money, she's money for life, and so we don't own enough. That's true. And so for me. Creating this, uh, it was never about, an, uh, you know, when people started coming out and saying, oh, my God, I love this book. And some people started volunteering and saying, how do we get the first book out? How do we do this? And I kept telling them, I said, one of the first things you guys have to understand, this is not about selling a book. I'm not trying to sell a book. I'm trying to sell a franchise. Mm. And so I've created a series, um, and I'm going to do, uh, do six books, and I'm going to put out a book. Um, about every six months for the next two years. Okay. Um, that's that's the personal goal um, that I have. Um, and where can fans find mm -hmm. Laws of Rap? Yeah, we, we unfortunately have to wrap up sure. ourselves, but I want to make sure the fans know where they can get the book when, when it comes Laws out. Laws of Rap, actually, what we're really encouraging people to do is to pre-order um, okay. right now. It's going to be available everywhere. It comes out in June, but we're asking pre-orders because the book is tracking so well with the pre-orders that we actually have a very solid chance of becoming a bestseller. So awesome. if you go to Amazon, Kindle, uh, uh, Nook, any any of the places that you get your, your normal reading, if uh, Barnes & Noble, if you go there and pre-order, um, because we are in the rankings, we're headed towards bestseller if we can keep up. Yes. Wow. So we really do that, Congratulations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so. then if they want to find you on social media, where, what's um, your... Um, Twitter. Um, I have a Facebook page, uh, Laws, uh, Laws of Depravity Facebook page. Okay. Um, and I actually talk to, um, you know, I have great conversations with people on Facebook, but definitely through Twitter. Um, but like I said, you know, we're, we're really pushing at this point, um, you know, through all of the social media for people to go and pre like I, I just learned about the power of pre-ordering yeah it's almost like Nielsen's yeah. it's like yeah. it's, it's like one pre-order represents more, more than one yeah and so when we when we looked at the rankings and we you know we were like oh my god this is where we are and this is where we're headed so we're like look please go pre-order the book it comes out in June I'm gonna be doing book clubs but anywhere you get it, Amazon like I said Barnes any anywhere if you just go on and if you also go to my website I am Eric LaSalle um, get it there. Not only that, but you can get the first free chapters yes. free. Oh. I got because, that. Okay. Yeah, because I'm like, look, give it. I'll give it to you. It's like it's like the old hustler, you know. Like I'll give you yeah. the first. The first one's on me. And then once I get you, when I get you, when I get you hooked, and you're like, oh my god, oh my god, I gotta, I gotta get it. So I, I believe in the work, and so we're like, look, go ahead, you can have it for free. So, so I am EricLaSalle.com, EricLaSalle23 on Twitter, and Laws of Laws of Depravity uh, Facebook page. Everyone, go pre-order your book. Yes. I know I'm going to do mine. I might do it as soon as I leave here. <laughs> right. Courtney, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Stuart Starlet. Jesse. At DJ Jesse J. Eric, thank you so much for thank joining you us. So you enlightened much. us. You gave us great information, and we—I can't read the—can't wait to read the books. Hey, so. Thanks, thanks, man. It was a great show. Thank yeah, you, guys. Thank, really. thank you. Yeah. Be sure to tune in to Black Hollywood Live Portraits next week.
from producers Maria Menounos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals. Thanks for watching Black Hollywood Live on YouTube. For more in-depth interviews and news, subscribe to our channel here and be sure to share your opinion in the comment section below here. See you soon, everyone. Bye.